Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. For our third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast, we've decided to do a couple of things that will help in you strengthening your own personal walk with God. And so uh, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be very intentional in the way we present the gospel message. Uh, And we're hoping that through some of these lessons that you will have a desire to grow more spiritually. Uh, And to help us with that, we are going to deal with some tough questions. Uh, In some broadcasts, you'll hear me talking about subjects that maybe even your preacher or uh, Bible class teacher is afraid to, to discuss because of the basically the sensitiveness of that particular lesson. And the second thing that we're doing is we are encouraging people to read their Bible all the way through. And so to help us with that, we are doing surveys of New Testament books. Some of the lessons will be one lesson. Some of them will be uh, two or three or four lessons, depending on the size of the book and the contents. But right now, we want to present to you one of those lessons on a New Testament book. I encourage you to grab your Bible and study along. If you got a notepad, piece of paper, highlighter, that'll probably help as you begin to make notes and think about uh, how you want to read this book from cover to cover. And I hope that it's a blessing to you. So we are in Second John. And uh, last week, I kind of gave an introduction to all three books, but I will abbreviate and, and try to introduce us to these other two smaller books of John's towards the end of our New Testament. Now, let me say as we start, one of the reasons why John's little letters make it into our New Testament is because John was the last apostle to die. He was the last one. So he had spent a considerable amount of time, some estimates would be 20 to 25 years on the earth, longer than any of the other apostles. And so he has an opportunity to write some things and to preach and to teach uh, when others had been martyred for the faith. There is some debate as to how many persecutions he endured before he actually went to the island of Patmos, which is where he was for many years and where he spent some time writing. And in fact, we will see in Revelation a culmination of a vision that he had. And that ought to be really interesting. We're going to take a few weeks to discuss that. But First John is a little longer. It's five chapters in our Bible. It deals with a lot of topics. Second and third John are mainly about one central theme. And so it'll be a little easier for us. Uh, It was probably written around the late 80s or early 90s, and it was written specifically about dealing with false teaching. And he says that uh, that he wants to greet the brethren, he wants to encourage the brethren, uh, but he also wants them to remember that they need to love one another. That's the theme of 1 John. And it's the theme of a lot of his writings. Now, I've said before, when you read these little letters of John, you need to do it with the Gospel of John open, because there's going to be a lot of parallels between the two passages. Uh, as for the audience, the letter is written to the church in Ephesus or near Ephesus, and it is a house church. There are several churches in this region that started off in homes, uh, and this is true of a lot of the cities in, uh, in antiquity. In fact, whenever the church starts in um, Philippi, it is in Lydia's house, remember, in Acts 16? So there are places where they met in churches instead of meeting or met in homes instead of in large buildings like a synagogue. 
There are basically uh, three or four verses here that I think we need to dig into and we'll do our best. But it's very short. It's only 13 verses. So let's go ahead and read the entirety of it. And we'll come back and we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that we which have had from the beginning that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as, the coming, as coming in flesh, this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I didn't wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy, your joy may be full, and the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So let's start with the obvious. He doesn't start by saying to the brethren of a certain congregation. He says to the lady. Who's he talking to when he says the lady? He's talking to the church. That's right. He's talking to the New Testament church. He sees us. And he sees this group of Christians as the bride of Christ. This is a thought from Ephesians 5. So he says to the lady, and he says he is an elder, a shepherd of this and maybe some other congregations in this region. And he says, I need you to teach your children to do this. And remember, one of the things he was known for is whenever he would talk, he would always say, little children, or my little children, or beloved little children. So he looked at the congregation as this older man, as a great shepherd, an elder, an apostle. And he says he looks at these kids. And of course, kids, people call me kids sometimes. I'm 45 years old. But when you look younger or you are younger, they'll call you a kid or a child. And so he says to the children, here's some things that you want to do. What's the common theme? What is it? He says love. Love one another. Now, remember that in the Gospel of John, he says in chapter 15 that, that we are to love one another. And he says in chapter 13, 34 and 35, that there's a new commandment there to love one another. And so this is a message that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. When I first became a preacher, I had an older minister say to me once, always keep a sermon outline in the back of your Bible on love. Because when you go somewhere, if you need to preach or if at the last minute you lose your lesson, you can always preach on love because the church needs to hear more about love, loving one another. And really, the reason why this is so important is because if we love each other, we will treat each other differently. Uh, in, in this next week, while I'm doing a gospel meeting, they asked me to preach on revival for, for seven or eight lessons, however many it is. And, uh, and as we talk about that, one of the things we're going to talk about is faith, hope, and love in 1 Corinthians 13. And so I've been studying a lot about 
1 Corinthians 13 the last couple weeks. And Paul does a great job of talking about love in that chapter. But John has made it a common theme in nearly every chapter of every book he's ever written. And you don't say that much and are beloved that much unless you practice it. So this was a man who was known as a lover of people. In fact, when he describes himself in the Gospel of John, he says that he's the one whom Jesus loved. Remember? So he sees himself as loved by God. It is John who brings to us, John 3.16, God so loved the world. So he is acquainted with love. He's a practicer of love. He's a teacher of love. And this is what the church needs to be known for. And this is something that we need to spend more time talking, preaching, teaching about. How can we show love to others? And, and there's a difference between doing something out of obligation and doing something because we can't help it, that we love someone so much. Uh, there ought to be a respect and a fear and a reverence of God that produces a love in us for him, that we are grateful for his mercy and his grace. But we're also grateful for the part of God's nature that brings wrath. Because there are times God needs to execute justice. And we're hoping that he will because we can't. Vengeance is his. And so we pray for God's vengeance to be seen. Walking in it is, it means that I am evident. It is evident. It's an attitude. Right. Because I can say, oh, I love you, Ray. But right. I have an attitude. And you're right. like, well, I don't see it. You know? And, and we, we also have to be careful that if we walk in it, we walk in it consistently. You know, I was driving uh, down through, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I was driving down through into North Foley, and I had been, I think at Robertsdale. This has been a while back, a few years ago. And uh, I had changed lanes at the same time the guy beside me decided to change lanes. And so I changed back. Well, he changed back. And it's one of those things where just make up your mind. And I just stayed in the right lane, so he did one of those swerve arounds. And he went past me, and he waved. Not with all five fingers, but he did wave. And as he passed me, the back of his car had three circles on it and a Jesus fish. Told me where he went to church, and that he was telling people in the back of his car that he was a Christian, but inside the vehicle, he was not acting like a Christian. Now, we all have our moments, but we forget that it's not about the emblem on the back of the car. In fact, most of us, we probably, if we get a chance to put on a little plaque or a sticker, we automatically have this... Oh, I've got to be careful. <laughs> but sometimes you forget that's on the back of the car. And so we, as we walk with Christ, have to be consistent with our behavior. That we don't just say we love God and we don't just go to church. But we, we regularly practice our faith. We pray. We, um, we are spiritual in our community. We talk very highly of people. We don't gossip. We don't lie. We don't backbite. We're the best employees. We ought to be the best workers. People ought to know if you're a Christian, that's somebody who is going to represent their faith well as they're out in, in the public. If you walk in love again, that you are consistent. And following these commands are consistent. If we know what is right and we do not do it, James says that's the sin. So we have to know what's right and we practice what's right. And uh, it's hard because we do live in a world full of inconsistencies and hypocrisy. And so when they see that among Christians, they go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, you're, you guys are just like us. And we say, yeah, we are. We're all human. But we're trying our best to live walking straight and narrow. And I love how John does this in every book. 
If you really love God, you do what he says. If you really love God, you do what he says. You do the commands. Going back to Solomon in, in Ecclesiastes 12, is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's man's all. That's all it is. And our Christian faith, when we look at the New Testament, is, is much more consistent with the pattern of action than even the Old Covenant. I mean, they had, they had feast days and they had sacrifices, but now we are a living sacrifice. So we consistently, on a daily basis, have to make judgments, make decisions on whether or not we're going to follow what's right, we're going to teach what's right, we're going to practice what's right. And so when something is done that is evil and is wrong, it is our obligation to be able to point out this is not right. Now we can do that in a loving way. We teach the truth in love. But the world hates that. The world hates that because they see it as we shouldn't be saying things. We shouldn't be telling people what's right and wrong. You know, if I want to dress up like a uniform, you have to call me one. You have to treat me like one. You know, get your little bucket out and feed me candy corn in the bucket because I'm a, I'm a unicorn. That's the way the world lives now. It's you, you don't buck the system. You don't, you don't go against what someone else says. But the consistency of God's word proves to us his word never passes away. And so we have to be solid in our judgment. We have to be solid in our teaching. And so that's hard in the world we live in, but it is, it is absolutely essential as children of God to do what God says. And if the devil was wearing, you know, spiked hat and big long tail and dressed in red, you know, I don't know what it's called, what the outfit's called. It's, but anyway, it's like long handle underwear, my grandpa used to say. You know, where you wear the big, that's the way I always saw the pitchfork, and the, that's the way they dressed up Halloween when I was a kid. That's not the devil. He didn't look like that. He didn't act like that. He is disguising himself as an angel of light, and that's the danger John sees. He's, he's on his last few years. He's on his last few pieces of parchment, his last few pieces of paper, and very little ink left in his pen. And he says, while I have a chance, listen to me, be careful about people that teach things contrary to what I've said. And this is, this is um, you know, we, again, we live in an environment where there's a lot of things that are being taught, a lot of things that are being, in fact, right now, there's this consistent message that, uh, you know, Jesus is coming tomorrow, you know, or the next day, and we have to get ready. And I do believe we do need to get ready. But in order to teach and to evangelize, some religious groups have started to, Pull prophecies out of the Old Testament and say, well, this is what's happening here, and this is what's happening here, and so you need to get ready. Well, he's going to come when we least expect it. Um, so we need to be ready all the time. And sometimes we, when people pull a prophecy here, pull a teaching there, it's usually, and I hate to say this, but it's usually to sell a book or to raise money. Uh, and so uh, Dennis Miller said one time, it was well, not Saturday Night Live, it was on another TV show, he said, beware of the prophet-seeking prophet. And I don't know where he got that, but I love that. So if somebody is coming around saying things, and it is clear that they have an agenda, you know, they have an agenda to be able to, to have some kind of a, uh, a face or a name for themselves, uh, or to teach something to strike fear into everybody, uh, that's dangerous. And so he says, you, the only way to refute false doctrine is with the truth. And so we have to equip ourselves with scripture. Um, if we went out and tried to go to every religious group and cult and so forth, every religion, and to figure out what they taught and then try to you know, find scripture to debate it, we would do nothing but study religion. And there are people that have spent their whole lives doing this, that have studied world religions. But if we will just study the Bible when something comes up that's 
contrary to God's word, we'll know the difference because we'll say, well, that's not consistent with the Bible. And really, you know, the, the, the thing is, if we go to take an exam, <coughs> some of us, I know Brandon is right now, are taking, um, I'm, I'm hopefully going to be doing it soon, taking the permit to get a CDL. Or if you've ever had to take exams for work, when I was selling insurance, I had to take a, a casualty insurance exam and life insurance exams and all these things, which I hate tests. I hate it. But the reason you pass is because you memorize the manual. You study the manual. If you want to learn something to pass a test, you need to study. Ultimately, judgment is our test. And so the only way to know what God's word is to read it. And to study it and to apply it. And it's really not that much. I mean, we, we, will, we can binge watch a whole series in a weekend of television. I mean, we can. We'll sit down and just say, you know, I'll give up a few hours of sleep, stay up till 2. Sometimes when, when those shows click off, you have to think quick or it's going to go right to the next one. But when it comes to reading the Bible, we will pick it up and put it down. Or we will pick it up and, and worship and we won't pick it up again until we come back the next week. And so there's a test coming. And so we want to be able to study and the reason why is to protect ourselves, to protect, protect the church, really, to make sure. Because, you know, and, and as much as I love you, and hopefully you love me, and you love Billy, and you love Brandon, and whoever else is up here teaching, there may be a day, I hope it doesn't come, that something will be said from the pulpit that is inaccurate. And if we just sit here and go, well, you know, he's just got his opinion. If something is caught that is false, it has to be confronted. That's why we need elders to be able to come to the ministry and say, hey, look. We need to talk about this. You shouldn't be preaching that. It's inconsistent with the Word of God. And we would never be able to do that if we didn't study. So uh, it's important for all of us, especially our leaders. Uh, that's what we just did uh, yesterday with the elections. We had people that were in office that said, I'm going to do this. And they didn't. So we voted them out. <laughs> or we tried to. So the idea is whenever you want to see something happen, to make change, to do something right, you need to be studied up. And so all of us have an obligation. And that's his, that's his fear in this time was that there would be people who would rise up and teach something contrary to Scripture. And he's like, somebody's got to be there. Because he doesn't see himself filling that role much longer. Uh, and we've had these conversations when we have Christmas and Thanksgiving coming up. When that matriarch or patriarch that was always calling everybody together for that one meal passes... It's like you have this transferring of a baton, and you don't know what, what are we going to do this year. You know, how are we going to do this when, we, when grandma's not here anymore, or mom's passed away, or mom's in a nursing home? Well, how do we, what do we do next? There's this baton, and John, instead of handing it to one of his disciples, which some religious groups will say that he did, he passes it off to the whole church. And so he recognizes that every individual member has some equality when it comes to not only practicing what's right, but confronting what's wrong. And this is important, that it's not just one person who holds all of the authority. We work together in the kingdom of God. So we all have a responsibility not only to study, but also to confront. So if you hear me say something that is contrary to Scripture, you need to address it with me. You need to come to me and say, hey, look. And I, will, I promise you that I will be uh, gentle. Even with constructive criticism, I try to be. Uh, very gentle. So if you come to me and you say, in a spirit of gentleness, hey, we need to talk about this, I will listen. Because that's what I'm supposed to do. 
uh, is to, to carefully look at whatever you're thinking that I contradicted on. And we sat down with an open Bible and come to the decision as to what is right. And so be open, uh, be honest, and uh, sometimes that means to be confrontational. In a loving way, you know, you have to do that. So notice also with me in verse 10, he says, If anybody comes to you and teaches something that I haven't taught, you have to reject him. And, and then he goes a step further. This is a tough teaching. This is a tough one. He says, If you accept him into your house, or in other words, if you receive him, knowing <coughs> that he's teaching something false, he says, you're sharing in his deeds. You're participating with them. So if something is done that is false, and you say, you know, come over to my house, let's go out to eat, let's do this, let's do that. John says, you need to learn how to set your boundaries up. And this is one reason why things don't get refuted when things are taught false. It's because we're afraid to confront. Well, then when we're afraid to confront, other people think it's fine. You know, it's okay. It's uh, kind of like there's certain things I'll eat in my house because I'll test it first. I think I mentioned to you, there's one thing I do not eat past eight or drink past. That's milk. Milk's gone. Anything dairy's gone. Except for cheese, because it's mold anyway. But most of the things in the pantry, I will test it. I had some cereal, a little questionable on the date, uh, but I had it last night. I poured a little bit, tried it with some almond milk, and it was okay, so I dumped the rest, but I would never let my children eat that. You know, I would throw it away before they had to eat it. Now, some people would test it out on the kids first, but that's not, that's not how I roll. So I, I, I tried it. I tested it. But we are, we are supposed to, if you do not, if you know something that is going to harm your, your children, if you know that there's a recall on the peanut butter, you don't keep six of them in the pantry. You throw them out or you take them back. You don't hand it off to your kid and go, well, you know, if you get sick, you get sick. You would never do that. So John's saying the best thing to do is when someone is doing something or teaching something false is to automatically reject it. You confront them. There's a way to do that. Matthew 18. But somebody has to say something. And that's a hard thing because nobody wants to be that guy, but somebody has to be that guy or gal, if you will, to confront. I think about that TikTok trend that was out here not long ago with the guy singing, you know, you can't eat at everybody's house. And I do believe that there are places that you won't eat because you know it's not going to go well. There's a Mexican restaurant in Springfield, Missouri. Everybody thinks it's fantastic. I went in there and saw a whole wall full of roaches. I will never eat there. I don't care if it says 99 on it and if they redone the whole thing. I'm not eating in that Mexican restaurant. And so you know that if, if there is a danger of, of being sick or poisoned, you're not going to expose yourself to that. The same thing is true when it comes to any teaching or book. Uh, or anything else, if there's a TV series, something that's being taught that's false, you say, well, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm going I'm to flee from it. Because if you stay around it and flirt with it long enough, it might end up becoming uh, you know, familiar enough to you that you just don't want to say anything. You just don't want to say anything. But you can't eat at everybody's house. You can. You can't eat at everybody's house. You're going to remember that tonight, aren't you? You can't eat at everybody's house. And when you're being fed the Word of God, when you're being taught scripture and it's incorrect, you can't eat there anymore. You, you have to walk away and say, I'm sorry, I, I just can't. And this was, this, you know, the reason why John is so concerned about this is because Paul also taught this. He actually gives a step-by-step -step process in Timothy of how they were going to fall away. And it happens exactly like that in the second and third century. And so John's saying just everybody be alert. 
okay? It's kind of like when we, when we all went out with our kids for Halloween. If you took your kids out to Halloween, we didn't. We turned our light on and waited. And four kids show up, and it was my son and his three friends, and they just dug into the candy. But when we took our kids out, we were always very cautious to take them to certain homes, around certain people. We didn't want to get fentanyl in the bag, you know, or razor blades in the Reese's. We, we were careful to see where they went and what they ate. And so John is saying, as a child of God, you need a steady diet of truth. Everything else in the world is teaching you things that are false. You know, image, it's all about what you look like. Not on the inside, not on the outside. You're supposed to be thinking about what you look on the inside. And so John is just warning, you know, this is in third chapter two, or third book, just be careful what you're consuming. So be careful. Uh, let's look at third John together. So another short little book. Uh, it says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, behold, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that's in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever uh, you do for the brethren and for strangers. You Born witness of your love, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you'll do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. For we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church about the atrophies, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does, writing against with malicious words, and not contend with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, he does evil, hasn't seen God. Demetrius is a good testimony from all, and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So, again, another little letter by John where he's trying to encourage. This time it's not to the whole church. It's to the church leader. And, and he's saying to this, we believe Gaius to be the preacher. He's a, kind of an influential man. At this time in the Ephesus community, he's recognized by Paul as a great leader. So he says to this guy, I need you to stay firm in the truth. Now, why would he say that when he says in the previous letter, his concern is about love? Because he tells them, if you love me, if you love God, you'll do what he says. And love and truth go hand in hand. Um, in fact, we talk about being spiritual and being loving. Even when we worship, we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So the love is present. The spirit of God is present. The spirit, the nature of, of, his, of him is, is, is here. But also the truth is present. And so he says, I'm telling you, I've heard some good things about what you're doing. And I just want to continue on. Now, one of the things he does here, which he didn't do in the previous book, uh, is instead of just calling out all evil and all false doctrine, he actually names somebody by name. So can you imagine if uh, John writes the letter, everybody loves John, and Gaius, the preacher, gets up one Sunday, and he says, we have a letter from John, everybody. Letter from John, great. You know, he's like, let me tell you about diatrophies. Now, if he's sitting in the audience, he is not happy. 
But if he is not there, there are probably people going, thank goodness, somebody's speaking up against this man. And he compares the nature of two different people. He compares the nature of someone who wants preeminence and he wants to be glorified by name and by power and by authority. And then he talks about this servant, this great man who is serving as a true character of Christ. And he contrasts the two so that we might be able to see the vast difference between someone who is completely following evil and someone who is obviously doing what is good. And I like the comparison because it is like Cain and Abel examples. Uh, there is an opportunity for us to see how we ought to conduct ourselves as Christians. And so sometimes, this is the hard part, Sometimes if someone is doing something or teaching something and you've constantly talked to them about it, they have to be called out by name. Now, uh, that's not usually the custom that we see. Uh, in fact, I think it needs to be done with extreme caution because I have heard people get up and say things. I actually was at a church one time. We had a gospel meeting. Preacher came in and he, he said, let me tell you what's going to happen over here at this event. Let me tell you what this preacher's going to teach. And so me and one of the other youth ministers are like, well, we're just going to find out. You know, when, you, when you're young and you feel like you got nothing to lose, just jump in a car and drive to Nashville. So we jumped in the car and drove to Nashville and sat in on his speech to see if he was going to say what this preacher said he was going to say. And he didn't. So then we, you know, white knuckle back to, to Florence and say, now, wait a minute. You said he was going to say such and such, and he didn't. He goes, well, that was what he was supposed to say. And so we said, well, you got up in front of a group of people and told them something Yes, I don't agree with this guy. I don't agree with some of the things he said. But you said he's teaching this this weekend, and he didn't. So you have to be careful not to just automatically uh, you know, run somebody down for something that they've done that is false. You have to see a pattern. And the pattern is consistent, where it, as in Diotrephes' case, it was all about Diotrephes. That was all about him. It wasn't about the kingdom. It wasn't about people. In fact, he says if you don't receive him, he just kicks you out of the church. And I've, I've seen that sometimes, not necessarily within uh, you know, our Christian community, but I've seen it in other religious communities where if you, I had a guy one time that had a Bible study with me. Uh, I won't mention what um, religious group he is, but they knocked doors. And so he came to my house and he studied with me and we went to his house and studied with him and they would drew fellowship from him because he took a track. He didn't read it, but he held it. And in their religious group, if you hold paperwork, even a bulletin from a church, they excommunicate you as an effort to teach people what we say is the only thing and you can't listen to anybody else. This is a far extreme. And, uh, but if we see something that's being done wrong, we, we can't just pretend, like I said with the example of, of uh, some of the things that's going on with our children now. I got a, a kid that's in high school and I'm constantly surprised at things that are being said and done. And uh, I just never thought in my lifetime I would see some of these things. But we live in a culture that is teaching that there is no relative truth. That everything is okay. And whatever you want to do, you should be able to do. You should live your life. You know, YOLO. You only live once. It's not about eternity. It's about live now. And so they will do whatever they want. And we have to be uh, the voice of reason, if you will. That there's a reason why we don't do these things. And when you talk to people from time to time, it's hard when they say, well, I just want to do my thing. You just, you just don't want me to be happy. You want to infringe on my rights or whatever. And I'm trying to keep you safe. I'm trying to keep you safe. When I talk to young people 
teenagers, and I, I don't teach the teen, teens as much as I used to, but when we talked about matters of sexuality, and we talk about matters of addiction and things like that, I tell them the harsh truth is that when you engage in a certain lifestyle, when you do certain things, it affects you the rest of your life. There are certain diseases that you can get. There are certain um, health risks to those kinds of things. And with addiction, uh, there are some people that, because of the chemicals in their brain, sometimes are geared towards addiction. It's easy for them to become addicted to something. My grandpa told me once, he said, we have a problem with alcoholism in our family. Don't touch a drop. That scared the daylights out of me. But uh, that's, that's kind of when we talk to our, our young people and we believe it in our, see it in ourselves and listen to our, you know, to wisdom. Be careful of anything that you do. And it's, it's not like we're trying to tell people, you know, we, we just want to be, we want to pretend like we're so high and holy and mighty and better than everybody else. It's just there's a moral standard. And it ought to be known, like for instance, when it comes to murder and lying, even people in a worldly culture can say, yeah, that's probably, that's probably a bad idea. That's not something. Well, if there's no absolute standard, and if all truth is relative, then what are laws for? Who determines law? Well, so, so could I just go out here and commit all these atrocities? Well, no. Well, why not? If no such thing is truth, and all of that is relative, I should have a community. Some of you may remember um, there was a video out. Kyle Butt and Eric, Eric uh, Lyons did a series on Christianity and on ethics. And they had one video. They did a history of liberal Missouri. Have you ever heard this story? There's a city in liberal Missouri, and they made a decision that within their little community, there were going to be no laws. It was basically bars and brothels is all that was there. And they had so much crime and so much uh, you know, murder and all these things going on that they started begging outside entities to come in and help. And they said, no way. <laughs> We're not coming into liberal Missouri. We have no, we have no jurisdiction there. Y'all created this problem. You live with it. And it was a terrible community. There were no churches there. You just did whatever you wanted. If your neighbor had something nice, you just took it from them. And it became a, just a terrible city, terrible place. And they give a little background on it a little more than I have now. But this is what happens when we say, you know, in a community, you should do whatever you want. You shouldn't let people tell you what to do. So then you have something, you just go take it. And uh, it, it devastates us. It, it, to me, I, I, I weep. I watch sometimes when we have these riots. You know, here's this, this guy that's a store shop owner. He's owned it for 40 years. He's invested his whole life in it. And he's standing outside going, please don't tear up my store. They're just destroying it and taking stuff. Why? Because it was just there. That guy didn't do anything wrong. It was just there. And this is what we taught our generation is that you just do whatever you want. And if you don't like what somebody else is doing, you just go take something. And there has to be a standard. And the standard is truth, that there is a difference between right and wrong. Uh, we, we didn't like to hear that when we were children, but we know now that a system, a government, a nation, a community, without laws is chaos, and it cannot survive. It cannot. It will never thrive. So the rules are there for a reason. I mean, there are times that I wish that it was 70 mile an hour out here until you get to my neighborhood, and then I'm glad there's a speed limit. And so we, we usually like to choose what laws we want to follow and which ones we don't. But there's a reason why they're there. And that's kind of what John is saying is there's truth and truth is paramount. 
in everything that we do. Why do we do it? We do it because it's right. I always thought it was interesting, too, and I've been teaching teenagers for 30 years. Do you know what they're probably talking about right now tonight in their class? Old fuddy-duddies. <laughs> you think I'm wrong? Some of you have taught the teenagers. They're in there talking about those old people over there in that auditorium. Let me tell you something. They don't know nothing. They think they know everything. And all they want to do is tell me what to do. And we sat in here going, those punks over there, they are so ungrateful. And they, and they live like they own everything. And they're so entitled. What mama needs to do is bend them over and give them a stern spanking. That's what, that's what my mama would have done. And so we have a disconnect. And, and there is a generation who does not want to be told anything. And now we have a generation that has abided by the rules their whole life. And they say, rules are good. There's a reason why we have these laws in place. And there's a generation rising up that's saying, we don't like those rules and we'll just change them. And most of us are just sitting here praying, come Lord Jesus, you know, because we, we don't know what's going to happen when they inherit. Yeah. Right. So it kind of it really puts upon this generation that's in the middle to play referee, if you will. But what I like to, to point out is what they want and what you want are the same thing. And that is to be heard. You want to be heard. You know, you want them to listen to you and they want you to listen to them. And so at some point... One reason why our, at least my generation, we had a tremendous amount of respect for those that were older than us. Because we, if we didn't, you know, <laughs> I, anybody in my neighborhood could hit me with a switch. My parents didn't care. You know, they did not care. Uh, and I'm telling you, they would, aren't you Darren Jim Lee's son? Yeah, mm -hmm. Jim Green's grandson? Yeah, that's me. I mean, they could shame you by mentioning a name. And so this generation wants to be heard. This generation wants to be heard. And the solution is listening. The solution is listening. Even though you know that they're wrong, and even though they think that you're wrong, and maybe you are on some things, there needs to be conversations. And the only way to have a healthy conversation is around this book. Because the truth does not just reside in your heart, it resides in the Word. And the truth that they're searching for is not just in your heart, it's in the Word. And what we have to do is sit down around common ground and say, there's got to be something right here. There's got to be something right. And, and, and you, give me, you give me an hour with a teenager who has that kind of an attitude that they think every, anything goes, and I, I, will, I can humble them in just a second. Because you go and you take the keys to their car, and you go into their locker and you take their stuff. And you go to their room and start telling you can't take that. That's my stuff. No, no, no. All things are relative. If, that's, if you think it's survival of the fittest here, you know, you want to believe evolution? I'm bigger than you. I can take what I want. And so, will somebody help me? You know, that's usually what they'll do. They'll cry. And we want to defund the police until somebody robs my house. And then I need the police there. So we, we, we have a generation saying, I don't want rules. I don't want rules. But as soon as someone take something of theirs or harm someone that they love or does something that they think is wrong, they feel there ought to be justice. That's what truth is. Truth is recognizing that people have to be punished for what they do wrong. And when you're right, you're going to be persecuted for doing right. 
But you have to do it anyway. You have to do it and you have to stand for it. So it's hard. Now pray for us all. <laughs> Especially us that are caught in the middle. But there is a, a very common ground. And that is the word of God. And we just need to spend more time together in the word. And, and loving each other. You, you, will, you will, if you have somebody that you know you completely disagree with. And you, and you, you can't even stand to hear them talk about certain subjects. Just love them. Just love them anyway. I love them no matter what. I don't agree with what they're doing. But I love them. And hopefully, if you love on them enough, they will, as they say, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. If you love on people enough, they're going to listen. They're going to listen. In fact, grandparents probably have a better shot at teaching their grandchildren than the parents do. So spend time with your grandkids. They will listen to you. They think you're cool. They'll let you drop them off at the school. Mom and dad got to drop them off six blocks away. But grandparents are different. You can get away with it. Aunts and uncles are different. Y'all can get away with it. Aunts and uncles, you call in auntie. She can, she can handle it, you know. Um, I love being aunt and uncle because, man, that's fun. I can spoil them and send them home. Load them up full of sugar. I got a lot of candy at my house. Send them over. I will load them up. But aunts and uncles can, can get away with speaking a little truth. You know, I was raised up with your mom. I know what kind of lady she is. She can be annoying. But you know what? She's still your mother. You got to love her. I love her. I take a bullet for her, you know. Uh, listen to her sometimes. Tell her. What, what are you going through right now? Tell me about it. Have you talked to your mom about this? I'm telling you. You think she's going to overreact? She's not. She's not. Why don't you talk to her tonight? They head out the door. Do, 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 do. Don't overreact. I told them you wouldn't overreact. Just listen to them. But aunts and uncles can do that. Uh, be that mentor that they need. And maybe then we'll bridge the gaps. So, all right. Thank you for tuning in to the Ray Reynolds Wrap Podcast, and specifically this study of New Testament books. If you have a specific Bible question that relates to the material we just covered, please feel free to email me that at rayreynoldswrap at gmail. We want to encourage you to tune into every broadcast, follow us on social media, and get regular updates on the content. Follow, subscribe, share, and set your notifications so you don't miss any broadcasts or blogs that are posted. Check out the website for free books and Bible study materials at rayreynoldswrap.com. Hope you have a wonderful day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.